Hey everybody, welcome to Uncomfortable Conversations About Money. I'm your host, Nicole, and if the title of this podcast made you cringe a little bit, you are in the right place. In this podcast, I really want to bring the conversation about money to the forefront because I have a passion to change the fact that money is such a taboo topic in our society. And I truly feel that the less we talk about it, the worse our relationship with money gets. It's as if you didn't talk to your significant other, your partner, your friends, and work through the issues that you have. We all know communication is key, so why aren't we bringing that same attention to money? If you're loving the show, please follow the podcast, share it with a friend, and give me a rating and review. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Pull up a seat, and let's get uncomfortable. Hey guys, welcome once again to Uncomfortable Conversations About Money. Today I'm joined with my friend, Caitlin. Caitlin and I were financial advisors together. I'm really excited to have her on. But before we get into anything, even introducing her, I'm going to read a disclaimer. (laughs) Although Caitlin is a financial advisor, the content that we are discussing today is for educational and fun purposes only. This is not financial advice. So if and when you need to seek financial advice, please seek a financial advisor out. So I just have to put that out there to save Caitlin's butt. (laughs) Caitlin is a financial advisor at Ameriprise. She is also an accredited portfolio management advisor and a chartered retirement planning counselor. I know a lot of people have a lot of letters after their names, so did I get all of that right? I'm really impressed, actually, that you did get them all correct. I had to Google them before we started. Do you have anything else? I'm working on some others, so stay tuned. <laughs> I'll just let you introduce yourself, maybe tell you know everybody a little bit about who you are and what all that actually means, and then we can you know jump into some more fun stuff. Yeah, so I'm Caitlin Boschnack. I'm a financial advisor and a financial planner. I am a mom. I'm a wife. Nicole and I are friends. And like she mentioned before, we worked together at Morgan Stanley. Um, and then I later moved over to Ameriprise Financial, where I am right now. I live in South Jersey, love to travel, love to talk about women and money. Yes, so excited. Thank you so much. And I know you're working towards more, let's call it alphabet soup. (laughs) That's when you (laughs) and my husband too. We were just talking about something yesterday. He was just rattling off all these letters. I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) So more power to you because I know that I was studying a little bit for that as well. So um, for what you're doing now, and it was not easy. (laughs) Yeah, it's serious. I mean, even, you know, when we got our license together, you know, to just have to study and study and study and the amount of information that we had to know Mm -hmm. to sit down for a six hour test, it was like running a marathon, basically. And so, you know, any type of accreditation in any industry is just a big deal because it takes a lot of preparation and um, you know, mental readiness to just sit and get that criteria. So kudos to Justin. Okay, so let's talk about for people that don't know, when you become a financial advisor, at least when we were, you have to take this test called the Series Seven, and it's like a six-hour test. I know at Morgan Stanley, you get hired, and your job is to study for three months. And like, thank God I had Caitlin because number one, she was the only other female in the office. She had just taken her. Series seven, and there's like a 65% fail rate. Now they do it differently now. They like break it into two tests, but it was so intimidating. But it was also like so, I don't know if the word's cathartic, but like passing that test, like I just cried because you would lose your job if you didn't pass. I saw that one guy that was working there lost his job because he didn't pass. It's like he's there one day and oh, he failed his test and you lose your job. So it's like a pretty serious industry. Not all 
brokerage firms do it that way, but that's how we started. So like I said, thank God I had you to help guide (laughs) me through and the tips you gave me. But tell me a little bit about how that was for you, because you were the only young person probably and a female. So what was that experience like for you? So I'm sure you, you know, can probably relate, but to some extent, it was just a huge risk going into that position. I mean, we were hired at that point. You don't have a business. You don't really know anything. So you're taking a huge leap of faith to say, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you have to accomplish is passing this, you know, six hour test where the information is in basically an encyclopedia that you have to know everything in and out, up and down. (laughs) And, you know, that's the trial to see. I used to joke to people in the lunchroom and I would be like, yeah, it's basically hazing. You know, you have to basically just like show that you can do this uh, task. Yeah, going to the testing center in and of itself was prepared. I remember, you, I think you told me, thank God, like, don't drink a lot of water because you're not allowed to get up and go to the bathroom. I wasn't even allowed to bring a piece of gum in. Like, you couldn't bring... It's you serious. Could, they inspected your glasses to see if you had, like, notes written on them. Like, it was so intimidating. Like you said, it's a big jump. It's a big leap of faith because, you know, advising yeah. is basically like starting your own business. And again, it's a very male-dominated industry, so there's not a lot of females. I mean, obviously, I'm no longer an advisor. It just wasn't my thing. You still are, and you're crushing it, but mm-hmm. it's almost like hazing. And it, you know, it weeds out the people who aren't serious because it's not easy, You know, even going forward. You're building a business, and I think being young and female is a good thing, but it's also probably very difficult as well. Yeah, because there's nobody that looks like you. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. when I got started, there was nobody. Then you came and I was so excited because I was like, yes, another young woman. We're going to be friends. This is going to be great. And so, you know, you coming was so great because finally there was somebody else like me. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, we're going to do this. And when you just are faced with something like that, sometimes you just got to think failing is not an option. Mm. Yes. You know, if I fail... I was told, don't come back tomorrow. Yeah. You don't have a job. Yeah. You know, I remember they wouldn't put my name on the door. I remember that. Until I passed the test. So they were like, here's your office, but it's not your office until you can pass the test. Because if you don't pass the test, this was never your office. So speaking of that, I want to hear a little bit about your journey before becoming an advisor. Maybe like what it was like growing up with the conversations, if any, were about money, success, failure, and how that maybe stayed with you through your career. And then I know you made a big jump, you know, from what you were doing previously to advise. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So growing up, I think the piece of my childhood that had the biggest impact on me as a person, as a woman, and for money is uh, my parents got divorced when I was really young. And I stayed with my mom. She had full custody. And so I was raised by a single mom. And my mom is amazing. And, you know, she just would never let this take her down. You know, she made sure that we always had what we needed. Even when we had nothing, we had what we needed. And, you know, she worked full time. I was in daycare. She would pick me up from preschool on her lunch break to take me to a babysitter after school when I was young. I mean, she sacrificed everything to just make sure that I wasn't impacted by the fact that we really had nothing. And so obviously that had a huge impact on me and just my attitude and, you know, the way I view that nothing can stop you. You know, I mean, basically I was raised with that mentality. And then 
you know, as I got older, I think what's interesting about like you and I and our generation is, you know, we really came into our own as teenagers and kids in a time where money was flowing a lot more than it does today, Mm. let's say. So it wasn't uncommon that there was one person in the house working. You know, you didn't have to have dual incomes. So uh, my mom ultimately got remarried and my stepdad worked and he was uh, a pilot for a major airline, which was really cool. But, you know, he worked. My mom stayed home and we had a great life. You know, I went to private school. We went on vacations every year. I don't ever remember struggling from that point on financially. So I think that that then had an impact as a child, just having this great life filled with experiences. Fast forward now, you know, I got married and I have two sons now. And, you know, my husband and I came from the same generation. You know, we had great childhoods. Both of us had one parent that worked and one parent that stayed home and just focused on raising us full time. Mm -hmm. So we were super fortunate. But obviously the reality of money today is that for the most part, both parents have to work because, Mm -hmm. you know, money doesn't flow like it used to. The price of things have just gone up astronomically before this, you know, huge inflation push that we have right now. It's been happening all along just at a faster pace than we've really paid that much attention to. And so that really, you know, now as a mom, I want to give my kids the same great experiences and traveling. And I want them to have these great childhood memories, whether we're struggling to get it to them or it's easy for us to get it to them. So that's really from a money perspective, you know, what got me to where I was today. And so from a career perspective, how did I get into finance? Because it's not like my parents are in finance. So I always knew I was going to take over someone's business. You didn't like go to school. I went to school for it. And that was like my only I was like, well, I should just do this. So like, I think it's interesting the journey you had because it wasn't really on your radar, you know? (laughs) Yeah, a very non-traditional path, you know, I guess. I did not go to business school. I don't even think I took a single business class. I went to school for psychology. I always knew that I was interested in people and, you know, kind of what made them tick and what made us different and, you know, struggles and how that impacts us. And that's always something that really just interests me and motivates me. And so I graduated college, I got my master's degree, and I started planning events for the university. That was my first job out of college. It was just one of the most fun times. And then I pivoted into um, starting a wedding planning company. So, you know, I took a leap of faith. Obviously, I've always had that entrepreneur Mm -hmm. spirit, which a lot of us who are entrepreneurs, you know, kind of have had that uh, along the way. And so I started my own business. So again, that leap of faith, that fear, those butterflies in your stomach, I've experienced multiple times in my life, but that was definitely the biggest one. I didn't have any clients. I started this company and basically had to just start it from the ground up and build it. And I love Mm. doing that. And so I had a business for 10 years. I planned hundreds of weddings and same thing. I just really, I loved my clients and what was important to them because every wedding was different for me. No two weddings were the same because no two couples were the same because they had different visions and goals and what's important to us, what's not important to us. 
what the impact of our family is on us. And then, you know, how are we going to get from our dreams to the ultimate goal? Hmm. And so that process for me was really what I loved the most. And then at the end, you know, when it's just been the best day of your life and, you know, everything turned out the way you wanted it, there were some hiccups along the way, but we plan for those hiccups. And that conversation with my clients was just what it was all about for me. It's funny you say that because now hearing you explain it in that way, it almost sounds exactly like like financial planning. <laughs> like, you know, a lot of people want to plan for retirement, get to that ultimate yes. goal or plan for big, you know, there's things that happen in our life. There's hiccups along the way. And how do we get yeah. through that? And like, this is why it's so important. So it's actually funny you say that, but it sounds like you were all that experience is what probably serves you really well today because it's pretty much the same thing, except it's yes. a much, I think it's a much bigger deal, but you know, to plan your financial yeah. life than a wedding, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's another financial impact. I'm sure you're kind of doing some wedding planning for people now. <laughs> I like to just give unsolicited advice at yeah. times when people want to know, you know, I'm, you know, having this issue with my family and they think this and I'm like, well, you know, really, you should just do X, Y, Z. Yeah. We're like, you know, you're right. You should just put that money in your retirement account and go get married in the islands. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. So you're absolutely right. It is so similar. It's really the same set of skills, but the difference is the amount of time now. So mm. I was working with clients for on average about a year, sometimes a little bit longer, sometimes a little bit shorter. And I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm going on this journey with people, but I'm kind of sad, you know, to see them mm. go and you know, it is really fulfilling and rewarding. And, you know, now my couples have families and so much has happened in their life. And so it's so rewarding to kind of be on the sidelines watching all this exciting life moments happen with them. But I thought, you know, I want to work with people on a longer basis than 12 mm. months. You know, what is it that people do for an extended amount of time? And financial planning is that, you know, you can start from your first job, you can start for the point where now you have to start paying off your student loans, you can start for, you know, the time I'm finally starting to make some money, what do I do with it now? You can start with, you know, some major life change, you could start with I'm about to retire. Any one of those things motivates people to seek financial planning. And so it's great. That's what got me to where I am. So it's a crazy journey, but it does flow somehow. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's like you said that you have that entrepreneurial spirit when you said that, like, that you have numerous times built something from the ground up and even though working for a firm, it's literally the same thing. It's, you know, because mm -hmm. if you don't, you know, pass this test, you get fired. If you don't bring in enough clients, you don't have a business. So there's really not a safety net. It's still a big leap of faith. And I think when you're an entrepreneur and I, you know, I'm in sales now. So yeah, I work for a corporation, but if I don't sell, I'm not going to have a job, you know? So you're constantly yep. finding what's next and what that next thing is. And I've said this about growing up with my parents. Like, I think they were just addicted to the game, like in a good way, like that's, but you yeah. have to, to enjoy somewhat the journey. Like it's hard. But the upside, I think, professionally, personally, maybe even monetarily is so worth it. And you just have to have that spirit or it's never going to work out. But so you switch into financial advising, you start building this business, you're studying for all these tests. Tell me a little bit about for people that don't know, you'd mentioned the rising cost of things. And again, I'm not going to ask you for any advice or anything. Can you just give us a basic definition of what is inflation? What the heck is going on <laughs> for people that don't understand? I know it's probably a loaded question, but maybe just like break it down a little bit for those that might be listening and wondering, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, why is milk $7 or whatever it is? Right. <laughs> I think it's like $5 now. Anything about that? Like I said, maybe not advice related, but just like the basics of like what's yes. going on. I love teaching people. 
you know, my husband's a teacher, and I think that to some extent our jobs are somewhat similar to each other. He teaches algebra to high school students, but I teach people about all of these economic, financial concepts that we may have heard along the way, but don't really know what it truly means in plain English. And so I love doing that. So basically, inflation is what you can purchase for your money. So if you have $5, well, 30 years ago for $5, you could probably buy a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk, and a dozen eggs. Now for your $5, you can probably just get one of those. Mm -hmm. And that's inflation. Inflation is what you can buy with your dollars. So you go to the store, you know, a few years ago, you know, could do all your grocery shopping for, you know, maybe $100. Now you're not necessarily getting any more stuff, but now it's like $130, uh, maybe more, depending on if you have two Mm -hmm. boys like I do. So that's a whole (laughs) other story. (laughs) But, you know, it's the same things, but now it just costs more because inflation is what you can buy with your money. So it's part of the economic cycle. So the way that I like to think about things in finance and money is that a lot of what happens are cycles. There's a market Mm -hmm. cycle. There's an economic cycle. And inflation is part of the economic cycle. So as time goes on, the cost of goods naturally go up. And that is inflation. It's just the purchasing power of your dollars. You know, and I think that that's so important to know. And what I see now I work kind of more in like employee benefits and seeing like, you know, a lot of people's salaries aren't keeping up with what the cost of living is going up, which isn't fair. But that's what's leading to this great resignation, reshuffle, whatever people are calling it nowadays, like go out, find something else. I was talking to my parents about it last night, like baby boomers are retiring and the next generation aren't even coming into the workforce because they're like, screw this. I want to do something on my own. I'm not going to do this nine to five, whatever. And there's going to be a, you know, a lot of, I don't know, not enough people for the job. There's a shakeup coming, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I understand why, you know, it might not be great when I want to go somewhere and there's a lack of employees to whatever, you know, my dad was in the hospital the other week and he was saying how like, there was like no nurses and they're all complaining about being short staffed. And I'm like, it's not their fault. This is just what's happening. You know, people can't afford to do what they want to do, like you were saying, on what they're making because of inflation and all this stuff. And I like to joke, and I'll say this because it's my opinion. You know, I have some friends that were like, why are the interest rates going up? I'm like, did you think when they printed all that money, we weren't going to have to pay for that? Like I hear some people say all the time, the the most expensive money is free money, right? And I forget exactly how to explain it. But like, I remember in college learning about when they print money, like money is, which just shows that there's infinite money out there. We can just print it at will as a country. But what's going to happen is people are going to suffer because inevitably, it's not just that, you know, is part of why, at least I think, right, why things have gone up and why rates have gone up and trillion dollars right. doesn't just fall out of the sky. You know? <laughs> right, right. You know, it's just part of the cycle. So on one end, there was a global pandemic and the economy was somewhat shutting down. So the reaction of that was to print money, have more money in circulation. But then that cycle continues mm-hmm. and now there's inflation. Yep. So it's part of the cycle. And you're right. I mean, that absolutely is partially what's causing what's going yeah. on. And so it's interesting times from a financial economic yeah. perspective. Yeah, like we're all sitting at home getting these stimulus checks. And, you know, to some people, it's a lot of money. Some people, it's not a lot of money. Buying things when the production is shut down, right? The supply demand thing, like you can't get a car, a used car, because there are none. And then, but you have the money right. and then people wonder, it's going to take years. I mean, like we're not even through for this all to catch up, but 
I digress. So if anybody's out there wondering what's going on, like just do a little <laughs> research and just, you know, be patient. I think over the next five to 10 years, we're definitely going to see between the workforce and all of that, like very, very interesting things happen. So yeah, I mean, just to go back, I had a great life as a kid and had one working parent mm-hmm. and we went on vacation. Yep. It's different, you know, it's wild. because to your point before, salaries are not keeping up with inflation. It's been happening for a very long time. And all of this just catching up to us. And we maybe always knew the concept of supply and demand, but it wasn't until 2020 that Mm -hmm. we've realized how supply and demand can actually have an impact on our wallets. You know, when they stopped producing cars and there was an issue with chip and the tremendous impact that can have on everyday people. Yeah, no, yeah, it's so interesting. So Talking about that a little bit, you know, we're talking about we're all in the workforce. Everybody's working for money, right? We have to pay our bills. People want to say, oh, do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. Like, you got to work, right? Like, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I just, yep. everyone's got bills to pay. If you don't have to pay bills and you can just work for nothing, that's great. I wish. But like, <laughs> also planning for the future. So my husband and I talk a lot about like, how do we enjoy today? And also plan for the future and like balance the two, because there are two schools of thought. I think some people just go the whole YOLO mentality, never save for retirement. Next thing you know, they are like, oh, I'll just never not work. Like you're not going to be able to work when you're 85 years old. Like your body is physically not going to be able to, I don't know, like maybe you can, but most people have to, you have to save something. And then there's the other school of thought where you just, all you do is save. You don't enjoy today. And God forbid you retire and you like die the next day. Because I hear that a lot. So Can you talk a little bit about the maybe the importance of even if you're not making a ton of money today, you feel like you can't save it all. If you can give some tips and tricks or some thought around putting money away, compounding interest, why it's so important. And, you know, because I think sometimes it'd be like, well, if I can only put away $100 a month, it's not worth it. But like it totally is, you know, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So just a couple of things that you said, you know, I think that there's a balance between living your best life today and not worrying about the future versus not enjoying today and, you know, just hoping that at some point down the road, it'll all work out. I think that there's a happy medium. And I think that that is what financial planning for me is all about. So most people have multiple goals. You know, there's lots of things that they want to achieve in life. They want to buy a house. They want to have a family. They want to pay off student loans. They want to save for their future uh, retirement. They want to save for their kids' college. So there's always all these things going on. So, you know, my typical advice to people is just prioritize your goals. So, you know, you want to save and sometimes you feel like you could, you know, just save so much that now you don't have anything for today. But if you prioritize your goals, I think it helps to, you know, not over allocate so that today you're not living your life in the moment. So I think that that's an important thing that I like to tell people. And, you know, again, to your point before, compounding interest is probably one of the most powerful tools that any one person has. And, you know, there's... It's the eighth wonder of the world. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's true, actually. It really is. It's like magic. (laughs) It is. There's a generation of people or a certain type of person that, you know, feels better having cash in the bank and that's where they're saving in the bank or under their mattress or whatever. And that is actually not always the best for everyone. And that's because you are losing compounding interest through investing. And Mm -hmm. because of inflation, makes it that much more important to save in investments so that you're growing, you know, 
through compounding interest to keep up with inflation because you are basically taking dollars for today and saving them for dollars in the future. So when I do financial planning with people, if they say, oh, you know, I want to save $20,000 for my kid's college education. Well, we're not planning to save $20,000. We're actually saving inflation amount of $20,000 in, you know, is it five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Because five, 10, 15 years from now, it's not going to be $20,000 that you need. It's going to be more because of inflation. So that makes it that much more important for people to invest their money that they're saving so that they're getting that compounding growth to help keep up with inflation for their future goals. So this is, you know, everything that financial planners talk about. It's everything that we know to be true and that we're trained for and talk to people about. The good thing I'll say about what's happening right now is that people are actually paying attention to inflation. Mm -hmm. I, you know, a few years ago, used to have to convince people that inflation was, you know, an important piece to your financial Mm -hmm. plan. We can't just use today's dollars for the future. We have to incorporate inflation and, you know, I used to have to convince people and they thought I was somewhat crazy and like, okay, we'll just trust you on this one. And now people actually are like, mm-hmm. they see oh, it. we should actually increase our inflationary, you know, assumption, you know, maybe 3% isn't enough. Maybe they want 4% now. So, you know, these are all things that financial planners help people with. So I think that's such an interesting point, because like you said, oh, if I put $100 a month away times whatever, however many years, it might only be $20,000, right? But I look at it too. And this one guy I read, Robert Kiyosaki, says savers are losers. What he means by that is like, there's a difference between having cash on hand, emergency funds, whatever. But if that's all you're doing, like savings accounts are paying under 2%. 2% gracious. I think it's more like 0.02%. Yes. And with inflation being like 8%, you're actually losing money on that money. Yeah. So whereas if you invest it, you could be growing it. I don't know if right now my 401k is down 14%, but <laughs> I like to think that everything's on sale, right? That <laughs> the old right. adage you used to say as an advisor, right. buy as much as I can now because, you know, over a 10-year span, whatever, the average is about 10%. So if you can grow your money at a 10% rate. I just went over this with my husband yesterday. I was like, I have this amount of money sitting here. I'm going to put it in an account. I'm going to do this, you know. (laughs) And he's like, whatever, just do whatever. (laughs) Because if it's growing or if it's going to grow for the future at, you know, anywhere, I don't know, five to 10, maybe even more percent versus sitting in a savings account, maybe earning, you know, 1%, which is actually losing money. I think it might sound like a whole lot of confusing stuff. I don't know if I even just made sense saying that, but So your point is very important to invest that money. Find an advisor, whether you can invest it in an account that you may need to draw off that at some point, or if it's like if you have a company sponsored 401k, maybe you can, I'll let you talk about this. Because my husband one day said he wasn't going to put money in his 401k because there was no company match. And I was like, okay, well, you're still going to put money in your 401k. Shame on your company for not matching it. But it's pre-tax dollars, which will actually lessen your tax burden. And I'm on this whole journey right now about paying as little in taxes as possible. (laughs) So can you talk a little bit about the importance of that and how that can actually affect long term? Yeah. So I am really glad to hear that you're giving Justin great advice because, (laughs) you know, you're absolutely right. You told him the right thing. You led him in the right direction. It's great when companies have a benefit of matching to a 401k, but a benefit, it's not always required, unfortunately. But Basically, what you are being offered in a 401k is a place to put money aside that is tax deferred. So that basically means that you don't have to pay taxes on it until you take it out at retirement. And so according to the IRS right now, you know, 59 and a half is, you know, the age that you have to be until you can take the money out without a penalty. 
So, you know, depending on how old you are, you can have, you know, 5, 10, 20, 30 years that this money is going to stay in that account and just continue to grow without you having to pay taxes on the growth. So that's a huge win for people um, because, you know, typically when you retire, you, you know, aren't working anymore. Obviously, you're not earning your salary anymore. And so your tax bracket goes down. And so it's a tax win for people. You know, you're on a journey for tax mm -hmm. wins. That's a tax win. So you're getting the today benefit of lowering your taxable income because it's considered pre-tax dollars. So even though, you know, it goes through your paycheck, you file it with your taxes and it reduces what you get to declare you made to the IRS. So that's a win today. Um, but then it's also a win along the way because you're not paying taxes on all that growth that will happen 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And then when you go to take it out, you're paying less taxes on it. So company retirement plans, no matter what it is, match or no match, is a win for you. And so it's absolutely something people should take advantage of. And, you know, just with the current climate, the silver lining I can tell people, you know, because he kind of alluded to this is you're basically able to buy more of an investment with the same amount of dollars. So, you know, for most 401ks, people, you know, contribute 3% or even, you know, $100, whatever it is that you're putting in, you're putting in the same dollar amount or the same percentage every single paycheck. Now, you know, back when the market was at an all-time high, you were getting less of an investment, less shares for those dollars. Now that the market's down, now that your 401k is down, you know, 14%, your buying power has increased for the same amount of dollars that you're still putting aside. Now, maybe instead of getting however many shares, now you're getting some more shares for the same amount of dollars. So, you know, for people who are accumulating wealth right now, there's major opportunity in just continuing to invest during volatility because your power in purchasing increases during this time. So keep it up. Yeah. I think that's so important too, because, and I know some people I know will be like, oh, the market's down. I got to get out. And I'm like, no, 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 do not sell now. You are literally losing money. It will go back up. If you just look at Google, like 30 year history of the S&P, it's cyclical, right? Up and down, up mm -hmm. and down every 10 years, you know, unless you're like retiring tomorrow, but still you shouldn't sell, talk to an advisor. But I think, yeah, I'm trying to buy more now because I know it's on, technically on sale. And like you said, I'm getting more shares because it's a discount. Like everybody loves yes. a discount. <laughs> like you go to shopping and we buy, go to the sale rack, right? You're getting something for less, that's literally what's going on in the market right now. So if people are listening and they look at things are down, I mean, do your research. But or like you said, if you're just investing the same amount every paycheck and your 401k, you know, and every so often I go up, I go in and I like tick it up a percent when I get comfortable. And that's how I, at least for me, start to invest more money without feeling mm -hmm. it right, you know, a little bit you know, every so often increase it. And as time goes on, but it, yeah, it's great to see when it's up. But you know, the mindset of when things are down needs to be that I'm investing for my future, I'm getting more for my money right now, and it's ultimately going to go back up. It's never going to zero, so we're, it's going to be fine. And just my, again, not advice, just yeah. my opinion. Yeah, well, everybody remembers 2008, right? So, yeah. so when we graduated college, <laughs> when I was in my senior finance classes learning about what I was supposed to do for a living, and then everything's crashing and there's no jobs, I'm like, this is wonderful. <laughs> great time to get a yeah. job. Yeah, exactly. But 2008 is a great time to think about, you know, volatility. I mean, because now we have hindsight. So in 2008, obviously, people were nervous and panicked. There was so much uncertainty and things were happening that had never happened before. The market got nervous. And so a lot of people just said, you know what, this is too much of a gamble for me. I'm pulling out. 
And so, you know, a lot of people did that. And then what happened a few months later, you know, after, you know, some intervention and lots of policy help, but what happened was the market went back up and it went back to all new highs. So Mm -hmm. the best thing in hindsight people could have done in 2008 was nothing or invest more, right? That's Mm -hmm. even better (laughs) if you have more money and you're brave (laughs) enough to be like, you know what, Mm -hmm. I'm going to double down right now. So I like to use 2008 as a hindsight example of volatility because now people agree that doing nothing during that time was the right thing to do in terms of, you know, mm-hmm. should I sell everything and get out of this? You know, if you did that, you would have ultimately uh, left with less money than if you just did nothing. And, you know, maybe you were retiring in a few years, you let it go for a few more years, you probably left with a lot more money 18 months later than if in fall of 2008, you pulled it all out. So I always think that that's a great example. <laughs> Yeah. And like, just do nothing, right? Just chill out. Even if you're not comfortable putting more in, right? Maybe right now you need the money, you need the extra cash because of inflation. Leave your retirement accounts alone. (laughs) Do not withdraw them. Do not pay. Like, just let it go. Let your money make money. And I think a do nothing strategy sometimes, like you said, is probably the best thing to do if you're very nervous and talk to an advisor, just talk to somebody. And like, if you do the research, like, everything, like you said, is cyclical. This is just a phase. And there's a guy I listen to all the time. He says, history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. And so like, if you look at the history, it's basically these same cycles over and over again. So like, it may not be the same exact thing, right? With the housing market right now, it's not the exact same thing happened in 2008, but there's something similar going on. And like, there's money to be made, or just if you're not looking to make an investment and make big money or, or take a risk, just chill out, calm down and let it flow. Yes. (laughs) So I want to switch to something really quick, because we had this conversation the other day about money. And I was thinking about it yesterday because I had some cash on hand, like actual physical dollars, mm-hmm. right? And I'm like, ooh, I usually always just am swiping my card. And I, it made me think of when we were talking about your kids. And I, I mean, I have a son now too, but he's like so young. Understanding the actual concept of a dollar versus when we grew up versus today, because I think having physical, like I will hold my physical cash and swipe my card because I don't want to let the cash go. But it's the same thing, but it's, it's the difference in the mindset. Talk to me a little bit about when you were talking about your sons and how it's like money doesn't exist. It's a press of a button. It's a swipe of a card and how you kind of go about teaching them a little bit more about like what is money and the value of a dollar in today's generation. (laughs) Yeah. So I, you know, as a parent, think about this a lot about my kids because I think that money is an abstract concept for them. You know, obviously there's a crypto world happening Mm. at the moment, but I think that there's so much electronic transactions happening as well, you know, that I think that my kids are growing up in a world where dollars and actual money, what it represents is abstract. They play video games. So they're asking for V-Bucks on Fortnite or Robux on Roblox. And so, you know, to them, you know, they're asking for, I don't know, a thousand V-Bucks, but, you know, that actually is dollars. And even though if they get it, we go online and, you know, my credit card is saved and transaction happens without anyone ever seeing the dollar move. You know, when we were younger, you know, you'd go to the store and, you know, you'd pay with cash, right? Um, because people had those those uh, credit card machines that you had to go back and forth. Oh, yeah. 
You didn't swipe it. Yep. It wasn't instant taking checks, you know, like that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you'd pay your grocery bill with a check. You'd write a check out, you know, because that would be the amount of money. So it was more physical back then, but now it's just so digital and electronic, I think, that they aren't getting the concept of, well, a thousand whatever game dollars is actually, I don't know, six US dollars. And what do six US dollars mean? And, you know, what do you get for that? So I think about the next generation so much and what their relationship with money is going to be. And I just really believe that this digital currency world that they are kind of coming into their own under is going to have a major impact on, you know, just them having financial responsibility because it's so abstract. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's good. Even me, like I say, if you're looking to save money or you're not sure, I changed my debit card. I like purposely lost it. So I would get a different debit card number because I memorized it because I shop online so much. I could just type it in. I didn't have to get up and get my wallet. Now, obviously, you can even have Apple Pay and all that stuff and just click a button. And even though we grew up in a generation where physical dollars were a thing, it's easy to spend and not feel like you're spending and then look at your bank account and be like, holy shit, what did I do? Yes. (laughs) I almost worry about the next generation. I don't think it's, um, we just have to figure out a way to teach them because we can't just teach them the old fashioned way because they don't grow up with cash and dollars. Yeah, it'd be great, but there's gotta be, and I don't know if you have any opinions on that or what are you doing with your kids to start to like, is there a strategy? Because I'm gonna need to know this when Jack gets a little older because I'm saving money for him and I don't know what, you know, how to teach him about money besides playing Monopoly, but that's like, (laughs) you know, cash isn't really gonna be a thing, you know, when he's old enough to really know what it is, so. Yeah, so there are a few programs out there that exist for kids to help teach them about money and saving and spending and financial goals and investing even. Um, So, you know, there are some people out there who've, you know, already figured out that this is going to be a problem and have kind of already Mm. created some types of solutions for kids. And so they've created apps and, you know, you can, as the parent, go on and say, okay, these are the tasks or chores or things I want my child to accomplish. And, you know, the child has an app and says, okay, these are the things I have to do. I have to feed the dog. I have to take out the garbage. I have to earn these dollars that I want. And, you know, there's a parent account with money in it. And then the kids go in and say, okay, I've done the things I need to do. And they check it off in the app. And then the money moves from the parent account into their account. So now they can see it. So I did this task. I earned money. Now I see it in my account. And that account is linked with, you know, the program I use has a credit card uh, for my kids with their picture on it that they Hmm. can actually go, you know, when they go to Target and they want to buy, you know, Legos or something, they, you know, can take their card and actually swipe it themselves and buy this thing that they worked for. So I think as a parent, you know, just being intentional about it, you know, I think that we did not grow up learning about money intentionally. We kind of along the way figured it all out Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think as a parent of this abstract financial generation, I think we just have to be more intentional mm-hmm and understand the world that they live Mm -hmm. in and kind of meet them there and say, okay, you want to buy more uh, V-Bucks for your game? Okay, well, you know, you don't have enough money in your account right now, you know, but these are the things that you still have left to do. If you get that done, you know, then you can earn that money and then you can get those V-Bucks that you want. So there are a couple of programs out there that exist. I think they're great. I use them with my kids. You know, they don't love it. But I think mm-hmm. that there's a lot of life skills being yeah. learned. And it's just kind of 
teaching them these, you know, a few really important strategies that this generation, I think, is going to make it far in life without understanding. And I think that's great that you said that is we need to meet them where they are, as opposed to being like, this is not how I grew up, right? Like, because that's what our parents probably did at some point to us. This is not how our gen. Well, it's like, it's always going to be different. So I think understanding that meeting them where they are, like you said, seeking out some of these programs, and I've seen some of those commercials and just showing them like, hey, look, you swiped your card, this amount went down. This is how money works. And it just the basic skills of it and hoping that, you know, that translates to, you know, a responsible financial adult. And I think that they're getting better with financial education in schools. But if not one day, that's my I would love to go teach basic finance 101 to some high school students. Yeah, (laughs) you know, or even before that, you know, because kids are getting cell phones younger. and, And it's just it's just different. And I like that you said that we have to meet them where they're at can't force them into the way that we did things or learn things. And I think that that is great. And I, I'm so excited. I think we may have bored some people with all this finance 101, <laughs> but I hope took some basic knowledge, learned something. And I definitely want to have you back on and do like, you know, every so often have a little more, some more recaps with what's going on and how to strategize and plan for, you know, the future or big events yeah. or talk to our kids about money. I think that might be a whole other segment we can do. So we can have a whole podcast just about that. <laughs> just about that. Yeah. Kids and money. <laughs> you know what? We'll have your kids on <laughs> one day and they can tell us what they've learned. <laughs> yes. They're going to say my mom is really mean. She makes me do stuff for money. <laughs> my friends just get these things and she makes me do things. <laughs> yeah. So mean. But he'll, they'll go far in life because of that. But yes. <laughs> Well, Caitlin, thank you so much for coming on and we'll continue these conversations because we love to have them on and offline. (laughs) Yes. Thanks, Nicole. Yeah. So real quick, if anybody wants to find you, um, maybe give a little shout out to yourself where people can find you if they want to seek you out. Yeah. So you can find me. I have a website on Ameriprise.com. Caitlin Boschnack, B-O-S-H-N-A-C-K. Uh, my website's there. It talks about how I like to work with clients and the different ways we can work together, whether it's through financial planning or investment. Um, and then there's a way to get in touch with me there. You can read some articles that are, you know, about what's going on in the markets today and the economy. Follow me on social media there. So that's a great landing page to kind of get more information on anything that you're interested in. Okay, great. Thanks. And we'll link all of that in the show notes. So again, thank you so much. And until the next time. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. All right. This wraps up today's uncomfortable conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. Let me know what you think. And if you learned something new today, I really want to hear if this episode impacted you. I hope you feel equipped to go out and make those uncomfortable conversations just a little bit more comfortable. If you love what you're hearing, please follow the podcast and leave me a review and a rating. Join me on Instagram or visit my blog and let me know what you want to hear in the upcoming episodes. See you next time.